Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that the most common injury caused by cosmetics is women actually poking themselves in the eye with their mascara wand. This is why biohackers never put mascara on while driving. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Dan John has spent his entire life with one foot in the world of lifting and throwing and the other foot in academia. Uh, this actually includes his young childhood, in case you're wondering. As an all-American discus thrower, Dan also has competed at the highest levels of Olympic lifting, Highland Games, and the weight pentathlon, which is an event where he holds the American record. He spends his work life blending weekly workshops and lectures with full-time writing, and I think this is really cool, he's also a religious studies instructor for Columbia College of Missouri. As a Fulbright scholar, he toured the Middle East exploring the foundations of religious education systems. His books, mostly on weightlifting, include Intervention, Never Let Go, Mass Made Simple, and Easy Strength, which was co-authored with Pavel, I can never say Pavel's last name, but Kettlebell Pavel. You want to help me out here, Dan? Satsulin. Satsulin. There you go. Sorry, Pavel. As well as the other book that Dan wrote that's pretty good, which is called From Dad to Grad. Dan, welcome to the show, and thanks for helping me pronounce names right. Well, that's what I'm here for. Thanks so much, Dave. <laughs> well, let's just start out. What piqued your interest, and in why are you a trainer for athletes and a trainer of trainers? Like, what, what got you into this? You're like a religious studies guy, a Fulbright scholar. How does this match up? <laughs> well, it's, I, I tell you, I think it's that whole sound mind, sound body thing I was told as a child. I, uh, I knew at an early age, because of finances with the family and stuff, that I'd have to pay for my education, probably through athletics, you know. In hindsight, I should have tried it more through uh, academics. But, you know, you're a kid. You don't, you don't know a lot. So um, 
you know, I, I got very involved in the Olympic lifts, uh, football, track and field. And as time went on, I, I slowly became better and better in the discus. And that kept picking up the tab for all my education. And I have a great education, and it cost me a total of $10 because they couldn't waive the health fee uh, at one of the schools. So I'm very proud of that. I mean, I've gone over the world because of my, my academics and my athletics. Um, it's, it's, it's always hard for me when people say, you know, uh, where's the dividing line between the two? Because I don't see it. Uh, I like that series of books, you know, the, the, uh, it's, the, it's the Healthiest Man in the World, Know-It-All, and The Year of Living Biblically, where the guy has uh, decided to live one year following the Bible perfectly, another year reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, and another year trying every single health idea in the world, mind, body, soul. And that's kind of the way I've lived my life. I will say this, though. Um, theology is based on geometry, and I truly think that good strength training and good coaching is geometry. You know, you start off, what are your givens, and what is the proof? Uh, and when you look at a football program, for example, what are you given? What's your facilities? What, what's your, you know, what's your neighborhood? What's your, you know, what's your history? Yeah, and what are you trying to do with that? What are you trying to prove with it? Uh, I feel that way also about, uh, you know, if I'm coming and help you, I say one-on-one, here are your givens. You know, you're a 79-year-old man. Uh, here's another given. Uh, you have arthritic knees. What do you want to do? You want to make, you want to play in the NFL. Well, to do that, we probably have to buy an NFL team. So that's how <laughs> I kind of, that's how I sort of see the world, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's really impressive there, you didn't say you can't do it, which is something that drives me nuts when people say, hey, you can't. I'm like, actually, you probably don't have the resources to do it right now, but if you really wanted to, I bet we could cheat and get you in. There's always a way. There's yeah. always a way. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the things you would ask a client before you start working with them or when you first start working with them? Just kind of the typical top three or four questions, things so, you need to know. Tell you what, let me give you five. Uh, one is what is your goal? And uh, Dave, here's the thing I've discovered is that the, the problem with me almost my whole career is that, you know, basically goal setting is from A to B. And when you work with elite athletes, uh, professional athletes, uh, high-end athletes, they always know what their B is. I mean, it could be as something as, I want to be at the Pleasanton Highland Games. I want to play three more years in the NFL. I want to make another Olympic team. And so it's really kind of easy because all we have to do then is go to their A, which is where they're at today, and assess. And then it's a pretty straight line from A to B. So, and really, I mean, if you've made one Olympic team, you know, we're all, all we really need to do is start tossing out extras and we're on the right track, fill in a gap or two, and here we go. But most people know exactly what their A is. You know, I'm fat. I don't feel good. I don't get around much. But they don't have a clear idea what their B is. So I've discovered in the last few years, I need to be much more helpful in helping people with their B. Now, Z is what most people want. I want to look like the girl on the cover of Shape. Okay, you're a 44-year-old mom, and you want to look like a 19-year-old supermodel who's been Photoshopped. Okay, I'm good. I don't know if I'm that good. Uh, you got to go with me on the Photoshopping here at least. Go halfway. Let's Photoshop. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things I've done is I, I steal this from Josh Hillison, among others, is I, I show people realistic body fat numbers, pr percentages. You know, this is what a 25% body fat woman looks like. Here's what a 30 is. Um, you know, Let's let's get to let's get the thirty percent body fat first. Let's get to twenty five percent, which I think is a, a great body fat for most women. By the way, yep. uh, that's just, that's a that's a taste issue with me. I'm uh, you know I'm a bit older. You know I'm I'm still kind of a Raquel Welch one million BC uh, fan. Um, so I still I still like a certain look. It's but, a, it's also a fertility issue and and like. The, the extremely lean, thin woman look is also the infertile woman who doesn't have any DHA stored up for having children. So there's a reason that the curvy look has its appeal. Well, isn't that, well good for me then. That's, that's what I always like to hear. Uh, well, I'll say, so I guess that, that would be the first question. What's your goal? But then I try to listen in carefully to is it, is it, you know, is it doable within a reasonable uh, you know, range of time? which sometimes is only six weeks, and I'm fine with that. Um, from there, the next question I, I almost always ask people, is this a health or a fitness goal? Now, many of my athletes, you know, 
playing three more years in the NFL long term will be hard on your health. Uh, not everyone knows about the brain stuff, but really the joints and stuff. But that is a fitness goal. That is a fitness goal. You know, it's a, a, you know the ability to do a task. Um, many people do come to me, middle-aged people, and they have more of a health goal. And uh, I have some, you know, I have a list of things I can work with them on that and stuff. But I always want people to at least hear that health is the optimal interplay of the human organs. That's Matthew Tone's definition. So, I mean, is your spleen spleening? Is your heart hearting? Is your kidney kidney? Uh, what's your blood? Uh, what's your blood profile? Right? Uh, do you wear a seatbelt? Are you smoking? I mean, you know, these are none of this is huge. Um, and then if it's a fitness goal, then I wire it into. Tr- then what I do if it's a fitness goal is I find out what the best are doing and pretty much steal them blind. The the third <laughs> the third big question is you know will this goal allow you to spiral out? And what I mean by spiraling out is that you know sometimes you can get a goal in life and let lose your family, lose your job, lose your house, lose your dog, you know it's a country western song, you know. So that's that's a huge question I ask of many people and I really try to get them early in the early is to get them to thinking about am I going to be a balanced person and socially uh, am I going to have am I going to be a fun person to be around? You know, getting down to 3% body fat is going to kill your social life. Am I going to be a fun person to be around? Am I going to be uh, extending myself into the community? Am I going to be someone I want to have around? Am I going to have any friends left? The fourth question is, this is a question I ask myself, but it's bouncing around in my head. What quadrant are you in? And this comes from my books, Easy Strength and Intervention. But really, most people want to be uh, what I call quadrant two. That's collision sport. Well, hold it. Most people fall in love with the training programs that are quadrant two. That's collision sports and collision occupations like the Navy SEALs, the NFL, rugby. Very few people need to train like that. Most people need to train like what I call quadrant three, which is when I as a strength coach are in kind of a yin-yang relationship with the other side of your goal. If you want to be a discus thrower, you should throw the discus and I can help you get stronger. We're on the right track. If you're a fat loss client, you need to make, you know, keep an eye on your, uh, you know, do a good job on food prep. Do a good job on not making idiotic food choices as best you can. Um, and then my job is to give you a bigger engine so you can burn more fat. And then the fifth question is how old are you? Uh, if you're old, over 28, I believe that you should focus on increasing lean body mass and making sure your joint mobility is the best it possibly can be. If you're a collision athlete and you're probably 17 to 28, well, you've got another set of things we need to talk about and deal with. So really, it comes down to this. For most people, what I can help them with is I'm going to push you in the weight room towards increasing your lean body mass, uh, which is both increasing you know muscle mass and cutting back on the fat stores, and making sure your joint mobility is where it should be. So it comes out that the answer to almost all questions is uh, joint mobility and lean body mass. So there you go. There's there's my five. There was my five questions. That's a pretty amazing list. So when you sit down with someone for the first time, you get all that. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? And it sounds like the where you want to be is really the focus. Like the goals aren't there. So without the goals, how do you know? Yeah. And you also notice that once you do it a few times, it takes about eight seconds to do all five questions. Uh, By the time, I mean, I can, you can almost walk in the room and I'm halfway finished about assessing you. Uh, From there, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it, it. that's why I'm so proud of this book called Intervention is because I feel like I put together this toolkit that is so obvious when you read it, you'll laugh at it. But the truth is you've got to have those boxes clicked away. Someone wants to play in the NFL, you know, a couple more years and they're 24. We can be a lot more aggressive than somebody wants to play in the NFL a couple more years who's 34, if that makes sense to you. You know, I, I would train a 55-year-old who wants to look better for the reunion differently than I would train a 23-year-old who wants to look hot for her five-year reunion, okay? Yeah, it's going to be pretty fundamentally different. Yeah. What do you think about the older guys using anti-aging therapies like hormones and whatnot to be able to perform like younger guys? My, my biggest concern on that is that, and you see all these commercials for it nowadays, is my, my biggest concern is... Make sure you knock, uh, you know, the low-hanging fruit. Make sure you steal the low-hanging fruit f- 
first. You know, really, if, if, if your diet is based on large carbohydrate loads throughout the day and just ingesting as much grain as you physically think a cow could eat in a day, you know, the low-hanging fruit in my vision there is let's, let's try this little idea of, you know, let's, let's pull out that grain thing. You know, I, I, I've done some interesting things recommending uh, intermittent fasting. Yeah. to older guys who say nothing works for them. Well, what's funny is when they realize that being that it's so much easier to fast than it is to actually follow a way of eating, a W-O-E, most guys will tell you, yeah, it's really easy for me to fast. When yeah. I wake up and bagel, I'm starving by 11 o'clock. I made bad food choices. Then I'm sleepy. Then I'm starving, sleeping, starving, sleeping, starving. I'm insane. Whereas if I'm just hungry... I'm just hungry. I, I feel like like it's a treadmill. Like if you eat that bagel in the morning, you're on the treadmill of eating all the time and managing your energy like with the extreme, like every two hours, give me something, give me something. And if you do the straight intermittent fasting or you do the bulletproof <laughs> fasting with the coffee and the butter, either one, like you're just going to have to not think about it for eight or 10 hours. This is something I wanted to talk to you about because I've been doing the bulletproof coffee intermittent fasting. And one of the things I want to say is, what I like about it is, and this is something Pavel told me about. We're both kind of make our money as writers yeah. in the fitness industry. And he told me something a couple of years ago I thought was genius. He said, don't eat until all your writing chores for the day are done. And I thought, well, that's a pretty simple way to do it. All of a sudden, I noticed, I do that one time, and I am like eagle laser beam vision focused guy pounding out. And he goes, it's true. You become a predator. You become a hunter. Now I'm hunting for words, which was a one that's by itself is a beautiful little phrase. But I'm, I'm hunting for words. I'm, I'm, I'm attacking my writing, and I'm getting it done. Um, and I think what happens is during intermittent fasting, you also become much more efficient. Yes. Uh, and here's the here's the thing I've noticed: making a meal and cleaning up can be an enormous process. That by skipping it, you get two hours or more work done. I know it sounds so logical and simple, but I think it's true. Uh, you've got to you got to believe her here. Yeah, you, you know, food preparation is enormously important when you're going to eat, which is why if you minimize the number of times you eat per day, you're way more efficient. Just like it seems so obvious, but most people believe if they're grain eaters today, or if they eat a lot of sugar and drink soda and things like that, they honestly believe that they would die if they didn't get you know food every two to three hours. And I've certainly been there when I weighed 300 pounds. But, you know, it, it makes you feel powerful and efficient and like a hunter when you just don't have to eat because you know you're going to do what you're going to do and food will come. You know, I did an experiment yesterday. I don't I can't recommend this because there is a danger mm -hmm. to it. But uh, I take Bikram yoga a couple days a week. I, I've got some, you know, I'm I'm 55. I've been an athlete since 65, uh, 1965. So, I've, you know, I've got a lot of surgeries from sports and stuff. But someone told me that you should do every few sessions of Bikram, that's the hour and a half in about a 105-degree room, every so often do it without bringing any water in. Holy well, I, crap. Yeah. I, again, folks at home, I'm not recommending this. I did it yesterday, and I had such an eagle vision layer of focus. On the way home, after, I mean, I drank a lot of water after. Don't worry. I'm fine. I'm not going to die. Um, I thought to myself, it's the first time I've had a full class where I wasn't constantly thinking about when was my next sip of water, how can I quietly open my water bottle to not bo bother anybody else. And it was such a insight into why I think intermittent fasting works. Instead of worrying the whole day about, oh gosh, if I eat seven cashews, now wait, is a cashew a legume or is it a member of the <laughs> nightshade family? Wait, no, almonds are night, no, neither are night. No, yeah. tomatoes are nightshades. Yeah, where, just, where's, where's it on the bulletproof diet, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. why bother if you're not going to eat? Exactly. You just sho I shoved all that stuff to the side and focused on squeezing my quads to open up my hamstrings, so to speak, if, if you get the point. Yeah. And I, I found it almost inspiring because, you know, I've often told people, in fact, it's it's interesting as we start this, we're, we're in Lent right now. And... I've always told people that they always miss the point that most of the great religious traditions, 
they, they sort of believe this. First the fast, then the feast. And I feel like in my lifetime, I've seen many people decide that no matter what small level of idiocy little Charlie does, we're going to reward him with candy. Well, I think in life, you, you need to really put your arms around the fast so that when you finally do get a chance to feast, you enjoy it so much more. I don't want to turn this into a theology discussion, but my thought process is, you know, if you put certain things off for a while, because for whatever reason, it can be uh, the marital act, and I've seen videos about that. If you could do, that was a joke. Um, if it's, uh, <laughs> I just got it. Sorry, I was like, huh? <laughs> uh, food or drink or whatever you put off for a while, it literally just tastes so much better. And it's, it's kind of funny because I'm in the middle of this kind of great insight about how the great religious traditions have kind of nailed something there. You know, uh, I, I think his name is Nassim Taleb. He wrote The Black Swan, just came out with a new book called Anti-Fragile, where he talks about he decided to follow the traditional, I think he's Greek Orthodox diet, where there are 200 days a year, which shocked me to hear that. And I could be wrong on this. I, maybe I, I might be making this all up that they have some level of fasting in them. And I thought, you know, this isn't a bad idea. You know, bring in, you know, bring in the power of God. Dave, if you eat before lunch, you will will destroy the country or, you know, the world. <laughs> will, you know, I, I, just, I just found a real insight to that. And thanks for allowing me to share that. Uh, you know, that's what this whole podcast is for. It's for these kinds of ideas. Uh, so the other one that applies to this framework you're just talking about is cold thermogenesis. You sit in a tub of ice, you feel like you're going to die for one minute, then suddenly your body relaxes. When you get out, it's nice to be warm again, but you realize very quickly you're not going to die. And actually, since you you, you agreed your, with yourself you're going to go through this, uh, the pain goes away. And by doing that, you build more than character. You change your genetic structure even. Like, it, it's really meaningful. Well, that's, you know, dousing. The, the, the Soviet style of dousing with the three buckets of water. And I agree with you. You know, you just, yeah, and all of a sudden, it's never as bad after as it was going in, right? Yeah. And, and actually, it's interesting because that's probably a lesson of life right there, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Uh, people ask me all the time, Dan, should I get another degree or, you know, what should, you know, should I go to college? And my point always is, you know, four years from now, no matter what, it'll still be four years from now. If you go to college, you'll at least have your degree four years from now, and that will be done. Everything looks worse going in. Could you imagine if you gave an incoming freshman every single assignment and thing they would have to do over the next four years on a bundle? You know, if you just handed them this huge, massive, huge yellow pages size book, here are all the assignments you need to fill in to graduate. No one would ever go to college, right? I think I might have done the same thing I actually did in college, which was I would have set it down and gone and tried to find a way to buy beer when I was underage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well played, yeah. So it, this is this is fascinating, and it ties in with this idea that that you have multiple parts of your brain. You have this mammalian brain, which, which I like to call the Labrador in your head, and you look at what do Labradors do? Well, they're they're easily frightened by you know, loud noises and sounds, and then. They can be trained to cower from some things. They're always thinking about food, always thinking about humping someone's leg and, and all the things like that. And, and it seems in my own mind that that's the part of me that needs the most training. Like the discipline isn't about what, whether I want to do it or not. It's about whether I'm going to do it. And the parts of me that don't do it generally follow the Labrador side of thinking rather than the rational human side of thinking. You ever come across that in your training or the way you think about it? I, I've actually written one of the articles that I've gotten the weirdest responses ever was I talked about free will. And it's my belief that each of us has a can of shaving gel of free will. Let me explain. <laughs> uh, shaving cream will spit and sputter for a few days, letting you know what's running out. But shaving gel just poof, is gone, right? And I feel that way about free will. Uh, you know, it happens every year. You know, on you know December 31st, drunk walks over to you and says, yeah, tomorrow you are I'm not drinking anymore. I'm cutting smoking out. I'm exercising three days. You know, there's no way I couldn't do those three things. And I already exercise, you know. Um, the amount of free will we have is very limited. Uh, we, we know that 
and we know that from the religious traditions, but people are now testing it. I don't know if you know about this study where uh, they, they put together something like a Rubik's Cube, but the Rubik's Cube was impossible to solve. Okay? <laughs> That's mean. And the test is this. The test isn't the Rubik's Cube. When you come in, they ask you, oh, thanks for coming in for the test. Hey, would you like some cookies? People who said, no, thank you. I'm on a diet. It's Lent. I'm getting ready for my reunion. I don't need any cookies. They finished the impossible. They stopped trying on the impossible task. Then people who said, yeah, just give me a damn cookie. So it seems if you wasted free will deciding not to have a cookie, you lost it later on in the, in the, cookie, uh, in the impossible task. Here's my point in this. This is why I raise it all the time. You know, I used to do prison ministry, and people are always talking about how jacked up, how good, you know, all the prisoners look like. You know, that's not true. I mean, it's – but the point is if you really wanted to get in good shape, I can't think of a better way to do it than throw you in prison. You, someone makes three meals a day for you. Someone tells you what time to get up. Someone tells you what time to go to bed. You know, if you have children, they eat your free will. Quack, 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 quack. Here in this house, we say that uh, raising children is like being pecked to death by ducks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I trained at a very high level with two daughters in middle school, and I look back now, it was the greatest triumph of my life. Also made me a better coach, too, because I only had an hour a day to train. So I had to rethink and remanufacture how I would make my goal set. But when people talk about, oh, I wish I had the discipline of a multi-murderer, I always want to say, well, wait a second. You realize that they're in prison to have all that energy to put to training. Uh, if I ever did a thing like The World's Strongest Loser or whatever that show is, you know, on TV, yeah. I would – I think I could do real well with anybody by just getting them away from their family, surrounding them by healthier friends, and then making them eat certain meals a day because they have no other choice. I think the secret always with free will, Dave, no other choice. If all you have is this, you will enjoy that. You know, one of the ways that I've been able to kind of biohack that response to myself is I look at a bagel and I used to go, I really want that. It's food. But the internal programming is different now. It, it just says, look, I look at it. That's not food. There is no choice there because I don't eat that anymore. And that I don't versus I can't is a major differentiator. Like That's it's... It's just not there. Yes, exactly. The, the don'ts have such a strong, or you know, what we we always joke about if you if you make it a moral thing, you know, uh, you know, I got a buddy who's uh, who's, who's overweight. Uh, one of my one of my clients, uh, one of my friends, I work with, and uh, he has a huge soda pop intake per day. So I just said he he belongs to a religion that bans smoking, drinking, dancing, and everything else. I just told him. You know, God also said, thou shalt not drink soda. And I said, you've got to think of it this way. Don't you run it through your mind. Say, God said so. And he goes, it's funny because it worked so well with the way my brain works. God said I can't have Coca-Cola. Okay, I can't have it. It took, but was the reason I even mentioned this, you say, I don't, this isn't, this, Dave does not do this. To him, uh, he would say, Dave does not do this because God has ordained it and the world will end if I do. And so it just, it frees you up. It frees you up, gives you more headspace. The decision-making stress is gone when you do yes. that, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I always told the people that I was a much better coach when I only had a barbell. And then I was a really good kettlebell instructor when I only had one size kettlebell. Everybody used the same one. When you begin to add more and more and more choices, now there's probably 700 kettlebell sizes. You know, so should I use the 10 kilo or the 12? Mm, that 12 is heavy. Well, that 14 is really, that 8, oh, that 8 is nice. If there was only a 16, we'd all be using 16s. You know, you know, if, what's for dinner tonight? Food. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I don't want that. Well, then you're not eating. Oh, okay. If moms and dads do that once or twice, Things get a little easier around that. Hunger is a wonderful seasoning. Yes. Yeah, I, I do that with my three and five year old. Like, I, I don't want to eat that. Okay, don't eat that. You can go sit on the couch. And like, what? But then what will I eat? I don't know, stuffing from the couch, but this is what's for dinner. And yeah, they do that twice and then they're done. Dave and Dan, parents of the year. <laughs> 
Well, I want to tie this back into your intervention book where you talk about absolute strength and you have some unusual ways of describing that. Like, how do you talk about absolute strength and how does this tie back to our whole, you know, don't exhaust your free will conversation? Well, I'll do my best to tie that, but that's actually a good question. Um, first off, what is it? Absolute strength, is, uh, we always say, is the glass. Absolute strength is, you know, what, what can you what can you move? What is the biggest load you can move? Deadlift, squat, bench, press, I don't care. And what we find is that the bigger your glass is, the glass is absolute strength. So here's, here's me here, and I've got a, a pitcher of beer-sized absolute strength. What I can do is I can pour a lot of stuff in that pitcher of beer. A lot of qual- All the other qualities are in there. Now, Edna over there doesn't want to get strong and bulky. So she only has a shot glass of strength, okay? All the liquid, she can only pour a little teeny bit of liquid in there. So what's my point on this? The bigger your glass, the more, the more wiggle room you have, so to speak. I go out with women, this one woman, I love, I love hanging out with her. She'll go out and eat wings and drink pitchers of beer with you all Saturday night and have a great time. She's also about 14% body fat at the same time. Now you wonder how does she do it? Well, Monday, when she goes in the weight room, she can do three pull-ups with a 53-pound weight hanging around her waist, a female. Wow. Her engine is so big that she, her body has to respond to that workout. It has to go back into the reserves and say, okay, we got to fight this off. Now, if all you have is a shot glass, you have to decide between celery or carrots at the bar. And I literally mean you do. Because when you go work out, there's just not that big of a hit on your body. So, okay, so is it, are you clear? Is that, is that okay about what absolute strength is and its role? But it kind of sounds like you're talking about resilience there, like capacity to handle whatever it is. And that if you have a big capacity to handle, uh, you know, uh, the, the celery example uh, or the wings example, it, it, the wing person just has a bigger capacity. Is that what you mean by absolute strength? We're on, we're, you're on the right track, yes. My friend Pavel has a really interesting way. We discussed that neither of us is sure as who came up with it, but we're talking about miners, okay, coal miners. Coal miners work hard all day long. They work hard eight to ten hours, but they don't leave it on the line. They're not exhausted. They're not puking at the end of the day, right? right. They, they know that if something bad happens, like one little beam breaks, they might have to dig themselves out or their friends out literally for days on end. So they want the biggest engine they have, right? But they always want to keep it revving a little low. So that when they do have to wind it up, it's there. Absolute strength is like that too. So it is true. Absolute strength, general conditioning, they begin to start to get a little fuzzy about the, the, the line of sand where they are. But the resilience, they get to be a little fuzzy about where that line in the sand is. But we know that the bigger your engine, the bigger your engine, the more you can kind of, you know, cheat and get away, not cheat and get away with, because that's not really what it is, but it's the more hit, <clears throat> metabolic hit you're going to get when you go back and train. Got it. That makes sense. So, so the, the metabolic ability to absorb that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell you what, you know, when you deadlift 600 pounds, you don't feel good for a few days. You, do, you just feel off, you know, snatching and cleaning, jerking big weights. You know, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday after that, you're just a little bit still kind of like not yourself because your body has worked so hard to do that, what, three, four, five-second movement, you know? Um, so, yeah, so that metabolic hit is hard to put your finger on. It might be – I don't know what it is. I, I still think there is some kind of neurological hit that we probably will never understand. As I tell my athletes all the time when they raise their hand and ask, you know, I always tell them that cutting into corpses is educational. Cutting into people is illegal in this state. So we'll never truly know everything about the human body. and You know, what hits is this and what hits that. But we, you know when you've done it right. You, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I use one of those efficient exercise machines uh, from Keith Norris and did a single squat with a computer-controlled winch with a, a belt around my hips. And, and I was able to hold up 1,950 pounds of force. I couldn't lift it, but I could resist it and keep it from coming to the floor. And it took everything I had. You know, In fact, it flattened out my shoes. I have these you know, Oakley combat boots. It, it flattened the shoes out when I did that. And 
oh my God, I was sore for an entire week. Every muscle I had in my legs. And I like, just like you're saying, like the next day, you know, I just wasn't on my my full game from one motion when you just put everything into it. Yeah, there's something that happens there and there's cortisol and there's a bunch of other stuff, but I, I don't think we know all of it by a long shot. You're right. Well, you know those repetitive tasks that you do all the time? You know, sometimes you do, okay, this, you always press this one button so you can get to the place on the web that you, you know you're in trouble neurologically when you forget that. You know, you're sitting in front of the typewriter like staring at you like, wait, how do I get to the, 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 where? That's when you know you had, you probably went too deep in your workout two days before. If you can't figure out how to do something you've done a thousand times. That's one thing I do like about computers is that, you know, it has to be A, B, C, D, E. And so it gives you an insight about what's going on in the back, what's going on inside your body. Years ago, my, my friend, the late Stefan Fernholm, we had a drill where we'd take a pen and you would, hit a piece of paper as many times as you could in 10 seconds. Well, my friend Mike Rosenberg developed this thing called the tap test. Yeah. And it was a 10-second test where you tap the space bar as many times as you could in 10 seconds. What was fascinating is if I had a huge workout on Saturday, my tap test would be down 10% on Monday. All I'm using is one finger, and yet I was down 10% on that simple task. Well, it changed the way I approached competition doing that. Well, you can get away with volume, but boy, you got to be careful with intensity. You know, uh, Jay Schroeder, a guy who did the sure. kind of headline at, at my conference, uses the electrical stuff. Yeah, first time I met him, I walked in, he said, tap the table as much as you can. And he's like, ah, oh, you're, you're, you know, I'd only slept two hours the two nights before that and had just gotten off an airplane. But he's like, God, your neurological health is shit. Like, look at your, you look at your tap rate. I'm like, I, I don't know. I haven't really been quantifying that as much as I should, I guess. And yeah, I, I would encourage everyone who listens to this. If you want to know on a day to day basis, how you're doing, wake up in the morning and do a quick tap test. Uh, check out quantifiedmind.com, uh, quantified-mind. They have a free one. You just go and you do it. And what do you know? It, it's uh, it, it's a thing that tells you how was your sleep? Did you overtrain? Did you eat crap? Any of those things is going to affect that one variable. It, it's a remarkable thing. Well, I uh, thanks for sharing that. That's perfect. That's exactly. You know, it's kind of nice. I, you know, I, I have great appreciation with this biohacking field because, you know, I've always thought this is that if something improves in track and field, it's right. It's correct. No matter what it is, and for years, I mean, you could talk about the Fosbury flop, and it did. It transformed the high jump. Uh, when I was in college, uh, we went from hammer throwing being like the Scottish Highland Games to being like a, a sprint across the ring. Uh, at Utah State, you know, L.J. Sylvester got his leg wider in the discus, and he threw farther. So it's always right. And I've always felt that track and field was, was the ultimate biohack because, you know, when uh, Otis Chandler, who later became the editor of the LA Times, started lifting weights. He threw the shot farther. So to be a shot putter from now on, you had to lift weights. Then guys discovered they were lifting too much. They slid down to three days a week. And they were the ultimate. Everyone kept trying to find the fastest, easiest, most efficient way to get to the top. And then, especially in American track and field, we stopped doing it. And that's why I find you guys, I'm going to say delightful, and I mean it, Dave. I find you guys delightful because it's like I, – I, I, this can sound awful. Be careful. I feel like hugging you guys to be honest <laughs> because it's like I, I, I read I, – I, okay, I read you. I read Tim Ferriss. I read some other people and it's like, okay, maybe you guys are right or wrong. I don't care. But man, you're out there swinging away trying to find the fastest, most efficient, best way, smoothest way to the top and – we threw it out of my beloved sport of track and field. Now it's garbage miles, garbage cal. It's you know yeah. starved cardio, stretchaholic, <laughs> hard-eaten, emaciated. Okay, I'll stop there. But in other words, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I like to sort of say, and you're maybe the, the ultimate guy to say this to. I, I want to say we brought. Uh, you know the the non-valuable parts of of religion, sort of the the mindless practice, yes. into a lot of the health field, and certainly, like you're saying, into track and field. But it wasn't always like that, and it there's actually value from the spiritual side. You know the the where's your heart kind of thing that comes out of religion or spiritual practice. 
Uh, and I feel like even some of that's missing. So we're not quantifying it as well. And sort of the acknowledgement of, you know, the warrior spirit and things like that, that is a part of, of competition, sometimes doesn't get its due either. So if we're not doing the, the spiritual side and we're not doing the measurement side, like we're just masturbating? I, I don't know. What, what do you call it? I, I, I'm, you know, it's funny you said warrior spirit. On August 6, uh, 2011, I, I, I lost a number of friends in a helicopter accident uh, overseas. And one of the guys, John Foss, uh, we had, I mean, it broke, it still breaks my heart to think about it, but we had had a series of emails called The Warrior Spirit. And, I, and I've put them on my blog. I'm not, not all of them, of course, you know, there is some, uh, just for per, his personal security, even though it's, he's, he's no longer with us. But an intelligent discussion about the warrior spirit is, is uh, we both felt lacking. Uh, we, we both felt like in the in, especially in the fitness side of things, the, we, the word guru, uh, you know, I had a professor, Dr. Kulkarni at Utah State in Hindu philosophy. I love the man. And he actually was a guru and it's very a very good man. But in the fitness industry, many people have turned themselves into gurus. They have little secret circles. And, the, and if, you, if you sign up today, you can get in their inner quadrant. And, uh, and, and, and I find myself personally rejecting that because in the fitness world, what, what, what always made us great, and same with track and field, is that all of us were together in this battle against making that discus go a few feet farther. It was much more, like you said, the warrior spirit. Of the of of humility, uh, respect for th those who those who walked that walk before us. I feel like we've tossed a lot of that out. And thank you for mentioning that. Oh, you're you're most welcome. I, I probably owe credit to uh, Mark Devine uh, from Seal Fit. Uh, he was just I just recorded with him a couple days ago, and we talked about that too. And it, it's been on my mind even before that from some of the shamanic things that I read. But it, it just feels like. And even as an entrepreneur uh, or, you know, a business person or whatever it is, you know, as a writer, like that's a part of what you do every day. And if you don't honor that, even if it's hard to quantify or you don't acknowledge it, that you perform worse and you can quantify lower performance. It's just hard to quantify that you actually like acknowledge that there's that part of you that wants to kick ass and, you know, you know, be a little Spartan. So I, it's very hard to, to match that up with biohacking. And I know that sometimes I stress my own credibility when I talk about those things um, as a biohacker. But, you know, screw it. I'll talk about what I see. Please don't think that there is a, a disconnect here. You know, the, the, great, the great concept of mythos, uh, the, you know, there's two sides to this. There's the how and the why of things. And I think... Um, I think if you, as long as you keep the how and the why in your hands at the same time, you're okay. Notice in those five questions, remember those five questions earlier in the talk, much of what I try to get uh, an athlete or client working with me to do is not just have the, they want the how from me. And here's the how. Really? Ready? One, uh, wake up, have some bulletproof coffee, don't eat until two. At two o'clock, you know, eat some quality vegetables, you know. Have some really high-end, expensive beef. Okay, do it again one more time in the day, and then we're gonna do this really. You know, we're gonna do all the basic human body parts, uh, and we're gonna train them intelligently within reasonable rep schemes. And okay, how's that sound? Okay, that's the how. No one's gonna follow that advice. That was brilliant, by the way. Oh, that, that advice was. <laughs> I should charge you money for that. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> because the why is the issue. Yeah. What's your goal? Notice what I had. The goal was what's your goal? And then I have an answer for you. Trust me, I got an answer back here in my pocket. But then I said, why, 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 why? Because if you don't answer the why, all you have is the how. Um, there's that wonderful rabbinical tale. Do you, can I tell it to you? It's, it's, I've always, uh, Please do. I, I, I almost got, I was one class away from a minor in religious studies myself in my undergrad because it's so interesting why people do those things. Please do. Sure. It's, I'll, I'll, I'll change the story, but, but a terrible event happened. So the rabbi went out in the woods, and he said a prayer, and everything got better. Years go by. A terrible thing happens. A different rabbi went out in the woods, said a prayer, and things got better. Years later, a terrible thing happened, and the, the next rabbi went in the woods but couldn't remember the prayer, and things got better. Years later, another terrible thing happened. 
a rabbi went to the middle of the city, couldn't remember the prayer, and things got better. I always loved that. <laughs> because what's great about that story is that the how in that story doesn't matter. Each time it was the why. Did you okay. follow that? I, absolutely. I love it. I don't remember the prayer. I'm not in the right woods. And great. And something happened. And I always tell people, you know, especially athletes, athletes always try to, oh, okay, I'm doing a kind of a minor study of world records and American records and, and insane performances. I'm going to tell you something that comes up, the most common thing that comes up when I interview people about this stellar performance. It's one word. Are you ready for it? Hung over. You're talking about the day after how they felt? Nope. The day of. They were hung over when they got there. And oh. I think to myself, we have all these peaking programs. We have all this science. We have all this stuff. And what is the most common thing I hear about superlative performance? Yeah, I didn't feel very good. I threw up. And, and then so I went in and boom, that first one went good. Boom, the second one been better. Boom, the world record. And what makes me what always love about it is, is that we get so caught up on the house side. If I do the following 27 things, I will have the best day of my life. Think about that day with relationships as Valentine's comes near. Uh, could you imagine trying to plan for a perfect relationship? I saw this girl online. I'm going to follow her around until I get to meet her. That's stalking, man. Uh, <laughs> so I think my thought is we humans, we humans enjoy the why side of things as much as we enjoy the how. We can type up the how. And I, and I like the, on your forum – there's a guy who has typed up the how, right, to, to just death. Yep. But my job is to make sure my people entertain the other side. Why are you doing it? And when someone says something like me, I'm fat and I'm worried about it. I won't be there to play with my kids in high school. Not only does it break my heart, but it makes me realize that this person got a chance to turn things around. Yeah, it, you have to have that motivation. And uh, I, I found over the years, I, I used to be very much motivated by the – it, it, it's what I want. And now it, it comes down to why do I do some of the stuff that I do? I'm like, I actually genuinely want to help other people. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it in service of others because when I serve other people, uh, it makes me better too. And that switch in motivation for me, I think, has corresponded with a massive increase in my own performance. <laughs> it, it, and it makes, I mean, I love that actually. So it, it comes back to what we're always, in the religious traditions, we're always told, you know, the, the more I give, the more I get, receive, you know, it's, you want to be, you want to be loved, well, love, you know, and I think it's all true. I think it's all true. Uh, great, it, it, great insight. Oh, well, thanks. I know we're coming up on the end of our interview, but there's two questions that we've got to get in here because uh, I know that listeners are eagerly awaiting them. The first one is, okay, you know, biohackers like me, uh, people who read the Bulletproof Exec are pretty much looking for the best bang for their buck. What is the minimum effective dose if you want to get strong? Like, how do you do it in the least amount of time or effort, either one? Oh, well, I, there seems to be two ways, and they're on the extremes of each other. One is, you know, you've got to get yourself maximal loading. So you've got to do yourself, you know, go in there three days a week. I would suggest... Um, for most of the people, it's called the rack deadlift. Put the bar on a rack, put it about one inch below your knee or one inch above your knee, and you're going to deadlift that weight. You're going to do it five times and maybe two sets of five, three days a week, and just try to keep adding plates and plates and plates and plates and plates. Uh, you probably need some kind of pressing exercise on top of that. Everybody loves the bench press. Okay, Do two sets of five in the bench press trying to add plates and plates and plates and plates and plates. This is Pavel's power to the people. Yep. The other way, the other way is old as the hills, and it's from DeLorme, who worked with polio patients and World War II guys, but uh, you do a set of 10 at, with 50% of your rep, uh, 10 rep maximum. You do a set of five at 75, and then you do that one set. Uh, you want to try to get eight to 12 reps and you get the ball and you get those eight to eight to 12 reps and you, and then you move on. I would suggest you do a push, a pull, a hinge, a deadlift, a swing, a squat, and probably something like a farmer's walk. Um, I am discovering that both of those work well. 
which is why I like to cycle those two programs. I just gave you my top end training right there. So for a couple of, maybe six to eight weeks, we're going to come in and just get as strong as we physically can in the deadlift and a press. Just get in there and just boil the weights up. I mean, just go for it. And then do a bit of a more a whole body, uh, ten five, uh, those 15 reps. Those first 15 reps are sort of warm-up-ish, but it seems that we need it sometimes. And that last set of 10, you know, that, gosh, it sounds so silly to, to agree with this stuff because it's so unsexy. Um, you, you do it that way. Those are, those are the two ways that work over for most people most of the time. Now, once you get to a certain level, then you have to tweak things a lot. You have to have what we call same but different training where you're doing basically the same movements and stuff but a little different every time. But truthfully, those are the two big ways. Um, I keep telling my friend Pavel, he wrote a book and he has power to the people, but uh, rack deadlifts and bench presses, he would be the richest man in the world because that's what everybody wants to do in a workout. It, it makes it makes great sense and it it's – kind of funny because you didn't say you need to work out for an hour straight and you didn't need to do a bunch of cardio and and so many people who haven't dug in on this who are you know executives or just doing what they've always done they'll do a half hour cardio on the treadmill or the, the stupid yeah. ergos whatever the the things where you're kind of running i, I don't even know what they're called because i think they're lame um and then they go and they do their, their lifts of whatever patterns and they don't get the benefits the way that they could do and they actually get overtrained, which which is terrible. Well, you know, Dave, when I was at my peak, uh, the, the, probably the best shape in my life, well, every time, it's been a couple times, but I'm thinking one time in particular, I couldn't keep body weight on. I just kept getting leaner and leaner and leaner and finally someone advised me to drink beer to get my car uh, calorie load up every night. <laughs> And it was the strangest thing because literally as you get stronger and stronger and stronger, you become more and more machine-like. And it's funny because it famously doing that, uh, some of, they, they do a thing called a centipede in a 10K race. In the middle of this, a girl a girlfriend called me up and said, Dan, it's like 4 in the morning. We need a 10th person for our centipede. And I ran out and ran a 10K, being in the best Olympic lifting shape in my life. Because when you have the engine big enough, you can, you can really – extend it over something that easy if that if, if you follow absolutely the, the second question that matches that is okay so if people are working out as much as three times a week which you're talking about here what should they be eating wow you know i you know dave if you don't mind me just going into one little story real quick do it i gave a workshop this weekend in chicago and everybody in the room is a name in the fitness industry okay so one of the things I believe in is that there's, there's reasonable diet, there's kind of tough diet, reasonable training, kind of tough training. When I got to reasonable diet, reasonable way of eating, reasonable lifestyle eating, I started saying, well, folks, what is a reasonable eating pattern? It was crickets, my friend, in the room. <laughs> I've, I've been in morgues with more excitement. Here we are, people in the fitness industry, and no one can answer that problem. Finally, I, I put up, I think I put up the Mediterranean diet and I put up uh, what I call uh, meat, leaves, and veggies. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, meat, you know, eat meat and lean vegetables. And people were like kind of nodded, okay, we're okay with it. But they kept looking around like they're going to get in trouble if they said anything. So we're at a very strange place in our industry. Generally, I tell people the same things I was told at the Olympic Training Center when the guy said, why are you guys asking this? Everybody knows this. And he said, you know, eat protein, eat veggies, and drink clear water. What, what's the big deal? Uh, that advice I got in 1991, I still think it stands the test of time pretty much. Um, but here's the thing. We are in a freak-out mode uh, with food right now. Everything is bad for you. Coffee is going to kill you. Coffee is the answer to all questions. Wine, it'll, it'll destroy you and make your eyes fall out. You better start drinking wine. Am I right on this? I mean – you know, I find mixing coffee and wine doesn't work very well in the same cup. You know, bourbon coffee works, though. I've tried. <laughs> um, so what I, you know, I'm a strong believer in, for one thing, I, I've been doing this intermittent fasting, you know, not for as long as you and some others, but one of the things I think, first off, is that most people need to reacquaint themselves with the word hunger. Yes. It's a sense for what hunger means in your life. 
uh, I'm not necessarily don't do, don't have to do the experiment with thirst that I did with the Bikram, but I found that as fascinating. And then from there, let's be adults here. We all know it's basically protein, veggies, and clear water, right? And from there, I think you can really put together a nice template. Now, someone's going to raise their hand. I got a, a buddy, uh, Dr. McCombs. We were uh, teammates together uh, at this uh, strength thing. And he has this diet where it try, you try to get rid of fungus, uh, toenail fungus. It's a, yeah. it's a diet. And uh, one of the things he's found, just experientially, is that eating oranges makes some people have fungus outbreaks. So he recommends just this is my experience. I got no proof. Don't eat oranges. Okay. The word is just sitting out there like a balloon. Okay. Don't eat oranges. You know, just like a balloon right there. Just sitting there like a cartoon. You know, first thing you'll hear. Oh, I can't give up oranges. Oh, I love oranges. Well, when's the last time you had an orange? Oh, 1981. But I can't give them up. I love oranges. <laughs> so if I'm, if I put a food out there not to eat, Someone's going to sit there and go, oh, my God, I crave that right now. They didn't want it before I started talking, but now they crave it. Now, that, it's funny. Now the store will be pillaged for oranges after people listen to this. But so I, I really think that the key is this. We know this. Protein, vegetables, clear water. Train sometimes in a fasted state. Go hungry sometimes. Attempt thirst sometimes. I mean, George Carlin said it before he died. When did everybody get so thirsty? You know, water bottles and stuff. So I, I think I don't think there's a great magic to it, but none of us trust ourselves anymore. Interesting in this, in a, I, as I stop, years ago I asked my students what vitamin C was, and they knew it was ascorbic acid and cured scurvy. I asked them what a good breakfast was, and no one raised their hand. Yeah, the disconnect. I love Dis it. We're down to our last question, the one that everyone answers who comes on the podcast from everything you've learned from all domains in your life doesn't have to be lifting or nutrition or anything else uh, what are your top three recommendations for people who want to be as powerful and high performance as they can be in all aspects of their life top three life lessons well uh, uh let me go two sides of this okay do it for the first side would be this, this is my standard mantra i tell everybody uh show up show up you know, Woody Allen's famous, 90% of success is showing up. Two, don't quit. Three, ask smart questions. But I'd also like to add something else um, on the other side of this too. Um, I have a personal little mission statement. It's three words, make a difference. And uh, it's how we make decisions about who we're going to fund and finance. You know, uh, when I, here in Utah, uh, there's a lot of organizations that are underfunded because they're not popular because of, um, well, you can fill in the blank, okay? Politics. Well, and other yeah. things, lifestyle choices. And so we know that those people need need to be supported. You know, we don't, you know, let's fight teen suicide by supporting this group. So what, what my wife and I are trying to make a difference in that community, make a difference with the, the teacher, a lot of the teachers in the schools. We have a little, we have a little, uh, endowment at a local school here and the endowment is to help teachers with their kids education so the kids their own kids can get quality education because we don't want those teachers sacrificing their own children's education so if i was going to tell you for success it's show up don't quit uh ask questions but for life it's make a difference wow that's a pretty profound answer all right. Tell us where we can learn more about you and about your work, where we can buy your books, things like oh, that. Let's sure. let's talk URLs. We'll put all these in the show notes, of course. Oh, thanks. Um, well, uh, at danjohn.net, you'll find my blog, which I'm very proud of. People tell me that they go back on my blog, and there'll be something I discovered at a weightlifting meet 20 years ago, and it, ma and it makes their day. Um, that You can also buy my products there. But I also have a Q&A over at DaveDraper.com, and it's the Dan John Q&A. And please join. What I like about my Q&A is everybody's real kind. They're quality people. I've met a lot of them. They're, a lot of the guys who talk the most are guys who are actually older than me who have been lifting weights longer than I have. So if you ask a question about anything, these guys will give you not only what it was like to do it in when they were 18, but in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in some cases. So they can you can kind of get a, a, a nice 
breadth and body of answers. Uh, those are the two best places to find me. And if any of your people have a question, there's a little email tag on my uh, on my uh, website. Please email me. Glad to answer you. I'm here to help. Um, I tell you, you know, Dave, you've really influenced myself and my friends. Uh, we call your coffee sex coffee, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, it's uh, it's been really an honor getting to know you, and I really appreciate what you're doing. The, the, you guys in biohacking uh, are really a, a great tool for someone on my end. Uh, I'm I'm not getting any help from our national bodies and organizations. In fact, they're dumbing us down from what they send out. Uh, we're not getting better in track and Olympic lifting. We're not. Uh, we're we're getting worse because there's no one out there. You know, there's no one out there, kind of swinging away. You know, hey, let's try this. You know, no, it's got to be, you know, <laughs> the Ten Commandments of weightlifting, which are fine, but they're not right always. You know. You know, I, I appreciate it. And you've been doing this for about 15 years longer than I have. And I'm not a power lifter, never won the Olympics or even competed in them. It's, it's a different arena that I'm in. But uh, I've got a lot to learn from you, too. I mean, you've you've been down the path and you spend a lot more time on it. So I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing what you know, because it's a pretty big body of books you've written and they're all good. Hey, thank you. It's real. Thank you. Real honor. Thank you. All right. We'll have you on the show again in a few months. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.